Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Faith never gets us anything Jesus doesn't want for us, ever. Faith is not a way that you get something from God that God doesn't want from you. And in fact, while we're on that topic, I don't ever want anything from God that God doesn't want for me. If God doesn't want it for me, I don't want it, even if I want it. What is faith for? When does God honor faith and is there a time when he doesn't? Today on Practical Christian Living, we are studying Jesus' appointments on two different occasions to heal in response to great faith. God honors faith when it's accompanied by absolute trust in Him and a heart that desires His will more than anything else. We're in our series, Jesus' Appointments, and here's more from Mark chapter 5 with Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. One time as he's talking about what God's doing, the disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus says, have I been with you for so long and still you do not understand? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to them, this mountain be removed and cast into the sea. The false teachings of the faith movement tell you you got to get more faith. You got a faith container inside of you that if you have a baby, you play. This is back in cassette tapes. You play a cassette tape in their crib and they'll, they'll get faith. Faith will get in that faith container of theirs. And they'll be a person full of faith. That's Jesus said, have you been with me this long? You don't understand. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, it's not about getting more faith. When he says, oh, you of little faith, he's saying use the faith that you have. He talked about some people that had great faith. We'll, we'll see that in our, in our appointments. We'll see some that have great faith. But he said often, you know, you owe you of little faith. And then if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you're going to see things happen. Let me give you an example to help you understand uh, what the Bible says, is saying here. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, the children of Israel kept the Passover. Okay? That's where they killed the lamb, smeared the blood on their doors, and the, and the death angel passed over and their firstborn wasn't killed, but the firstborn of Egypt was killed, okay? So you got two guys, they're living next door. The first guy has no confidence at all. The first guy barely believes God at all. He's just always, he's the guy that's always like, I don't know if God's gonna do what God said he's gonna do. I don't really know. I have a hard time believing him. I'm not really a person of faith. I don't really believe it. And now he wants me to kill my pet lamb and smear its blood on the doors. And isn't that gross? Neighbors are gonna see the blood on my door. They're gonna think those bloody Jews, this is all, I can't believe it. And so, so he, he but he said, but I kind of like my firstborn. So I'm gonna do it. The guy may be even a little angry when he does it killing the poor little lamb and how disgusting smearing the blood on the doorpost. And I don't even think this is going to work anyway. And then you go next door. This guy's completely different. This guy fears God greatly. This guy believes God, everything God says. He's got great confidence in what God says. And when, when, when Moses said, go home, kill the lamb, smear the blood on your door and the death angel will pass over, he was like, I'm there. He walked into that house and without a thought took that lamb and slaughtered it, took that blood and smeared it and then had a meal with his family just as Moses had told him to do because he believed God. He didn't have any doubt. He was massively confident in what he did. Such a, such a radical difference than this guy over here who barely believes, this guy over here who doesn't have any confidence. 
Now, that night, the death angel passed over both of those men's houses. Which one of them had their oldest child saved? <laughs> both of them. The person that barely had any faith and the person who had great faith. Both of them. No wonder Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll move mountains. Doesn't matter if you're struggling, if you're doubting, if you're not confident, if you, if you end up doing it and believing it. If you end up doing what the Word of God says, you're going to receive it. Even if you're a person with very weak faith, you can do as much as a person with great faith because the power isn't in the amount of faith you have. The power is in who you put your faith in. Right? So that's how faith works. Stop believing the false teachings of the faith movement. Learn what the Bible has to say about faith and learn how faith works that you might receive everything that God has for you. And so we now have an account that teaches us a lot about faith. Mark 5, 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. Uh, great multitudes. This is early in the ministry of Jesus. You can divide Jesus's ministry into two different sections, one where he had great crowds following him and one where he didn't. The crowds will leave him eventually. This is early on in his ministry and there are great crowds following him. And then it says, and behold, which this is a, this is a phrase that we don't have anything like it in English today. It's, it, it tells you something really, really amazing is going to happen. That what's going to happen doesn't happen every day. You, I, I might say, I'm telling you a story and I might say something like, and you would never believe this. That's kind of the same thing. You, you know, and you would never believe this, but this happened. That's what and behold means. So it's like, it's like, hold on to your seats, folks. Buckle up. Because you're going to hear something here that's strange. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came to Jesus by name, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. That's a behold moment. This is in Capernaum and Jesus has had three, no less than three, maybe more, negative interactions with the rulers in the synagogue in Capernaum. One of them was with the man with the withered hand. Remember Jesus said, uh, as Jesus was there, the rulers of the synagogue looked at him and Jesus looked at them with anger and he stood up and he said, is it good to do good or evil on the, is it right to do good or evil on the Sabbath day? Then he had the man with the withered hand stand up and come forward and he healed him. And they left and thought about how they could destroy him. That's Jairus. But behold, he comes before Jesus and he falls down at his feet and he worships him and begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. There's a crisis in his life. His little girl was sick and dying and that drove him to Jesus. This proud man, this enemy of this young rabbi. Can you imagine how much it took for Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, a ruler in the synagogue? No doubt he was older. You don't achieve that position of being a ruler most often as a young man. And he went and he knelt down on the ground in front of this 30 year old itinerant preacher and begged him to come to his house because his need was great. So when Jesus went with him, a great multitude followed and thronged him. I take it thronged it just means closing in around him, right? They're all touching him. He's close by. They weren't social distancing for sure. 
Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for about 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. For 12 years, she had suffered. For 12 years, she had spent all her money on physicians. And now she was, uh, was getting worse. She was unclean when a woman is on that time a month. I'm in trouble figuring out exactly how I should say that. Um, she's considered to be unclean in the law. This woman has had a flow of blood for 12 years. She's an outcast. She's lost all her money. She suffered greatly. The last 12 years have been miserable years for her. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his garment. Another one of the Gospels tells us she touched the hem of his garment. For she said, if I can only touch his clothes or if I can only touch his hem, I will be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Now, there's nothing mystical about this. Some try to say that this is how faith works, that if I want to get something, that I got to sneak up on God and I got to reach out and touch him and get what I want from God. But, and he doesn't even have to be involved in it because Jesus, he didn't say woman be healed. He just felt the power leave him. And so if you want to get something from God, then you just got to get up there and touch him and, and, and you're going to get whatever you want. Jesus doesn't even need to want it for you because you can just get up and touch it. Can I say it again? False teaching. That is the false teaching of the faith movement. I don't know whether or not they're false teachers. That would mean that I would be making a judgment about the individual that they weren't genuinely called by God. I have no idea. But I can identify false teaching. And it's a false teaching to say we're going to sneak up on God and get what we want from him even when God doesn't want it for us. How utterly, absolutely, totally ridiculous. Can I say that any stronger? Is there any way that I, you're like, just tell us how you really feel, Robert. Okay, I will. Um, but what this does tell us is that when we go to Jesus, that the point of faith may be different. For, for Jairus, it was, it was worshiping and asking. For the woman, it was reaching up and thinking, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. The point of going to Jesus might be different. For the thief on the cross, it was remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And we could go on and we could look at all the people that received things from Jesus. For the paralyzed man, it was his four friends that lowered him in front of Jesus. The point of contact, the point of faith was the friends, not him. And so Jesus said, your fr the faith of your friends has made you well. It's, not, it's about coming to Jesus. It's not about sneaking up on him. It's not about trying to do something God doesn't want to do for you, getting some kind of arm lock on God. Look at what happens now. Immediately the fountain of blood stops and Jesus, immediately knowing that in himself the power had gone out from him, turned around to the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Now, I, I don't know about Jairus. His daughter's dying. Jesus is on his way. The crowd's thronging him. I'm probably already impatient. Pa Jairus may have been a much more patient man than me. The crowd's thronging and I would be like, let's go, let's go. Daughter's dying. And then when Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And there's all kinds of people touching him. I'm like, come on. And he looked around to see who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing that it had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Note the way it's worded here. Told him the whole truth. How long did it take her to tell him that? 
What was Jairus going through? Maybe he's running his fingers through his hair. Maybe he's pacing impatiently. But she's telling the whole truth. She might have been one of those people that can tell a story, a good story, quick. I had a flow of blood for 12 years. I heard that you were healing people. I thought all I needed to do is touch the hem of your garment and I would be healed, and I am. That's all she needed to say. That's the whole truth. But may, maybe she was like some people I know. You guys know anybody that can't tell a fast story? They could not tell a, quick, a good, quick story if their life depended on it. They're, they're like, I was, the other day I was in a Circle K. No, I, I think it was a 7 to 11. Wait a minute. I, I think it was, a, it was a QT. Yeah, that's it. It was a QT. It was, and, and, and I was there and I was getting gas. And no, no, I didn't get gas. Um, I, I just parked in the gas and I went in and I got a soda, came back out. And I said, does a soda have anything to do with your story? And, um, and then a Toyota Corolla came. No, I think it was a Nissan Altima. Uh, I don't know. I always get those two confused. I, I used to have a Corolla years ago, but they changed the body style on the Corolla. Now they look a lot like the Nissan Altima. You guys know anybody like this? Anybody? They, they're, they're like, oh, let me tell you what happened last Friday. I was born in Clinton, Iowa. They're just like, they're just, they don't know how to get to the point of the story at all. I don't know if this woman was like that. Maybe she was. Maybe she decided to go into all of the details, everything that was there. But I got to imagine that Jairus is just seeing this delay and thinking how awful it is. And so Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now she touched him and she felt it dry up, right? But now it says you're healed of your affliction. Jesus confirms this is what he wanted for her. Faith never gets us anything Jesus doesn't want for us, ever. Faith is not a way that you get something from God that God doesn't want from you. And in fact, while we're on that topic, I don't ever want anything from God that God doesn't want for me. If God doesn't want it for me. I don't want it, even if I want it. I realize that makes no, it's hard to I'm say it again. If God doesn't want something for me and I want it, I don't want it, even if I want it. Because I realize that God, he knows, he knows best. I realize that, you know, I might want something that may be the very worst thing for me. But God wants the very best for me. God knows what my life is to be like and so we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. Go and be healed. You, you, you are healed. He lets her go. So what he wanted for her as well. Um, when he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? I, I imagine that Jairus knew that his daughter had died before he even told her. When you have to tell someone that someone they loved has died, there's just something about the way you approach them that they know. My father died of Lou Gehrig's disease, I told you, when I was a teenager. And when my mom had gone to the hospital with him many times. He, had, he was 220 pounds when he got sick. He was 98 pounds when he died, just withered away. And um, my mom walked through the door, and before she even told me, I knew he had died. Just because of the look on the face. When Greg Laurie lost his son Christopher, Don McClure, another Calvary pastor, they're both Calvary pastors, Don McClure walked in and Greg looked up at him 
and said, don't, don't tell me, don't say it. He could see it in him. What an awful, horrible thing when death invades our lives. What an awful, horrible thing when you lose a child who was 12 years old. And that's what Jairus faced when he got these words and how it must have disheartened him. And, 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 and he may have begun to, to blame. I know what it's like to lose someone close to you. And I know it's easy to begin to blame people. When Lisa got lung cancer, they had found it six months before. And they said, well, let's recheck this in six months. And when they rechecked it in six months, it had grown significantly. So about two weeks into it, I begin to get mad at that doctor. I get angry at him. I'm like, I can't, had he just tested it then? Had he, why didn't he just biopsy it then? If he thought it was significant enough to test in six months, why didn't he biopsy it then? And so I've got a friend of mine who's a retired surgeon and I called him and I vented to him. And, and, and he said to me, you're just angry because you're grieving. It's nobody's fault. It's not that doctor's fault. He did what he felt was best. I, I, I don't know if Jairus had time to get into the angry phase. I don't know if he had time to blame, to say that stupid woman with the flow of blood. Had she not stopped him, my daughter would be alive. But as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, but only believe. These words can be spoken to any of us that lose someone close to us. Do not be afraid, but only believe. Because when someone dies who knows God, we're only absent from them for a while because they are still alive. Jesus says to his disciples, when Lazarus dies, he's not dead, he's sleeping. He had already died. And Jesus says he's, he's sleeping. One of the disciples, I think it was Thomas said, well, if he sleeps, he's gonna get better. And so Jesus tells them plainly he's dead. Because to God, when I, when I die, I sleep. I'm in the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with God. And they looked upon him and their faces were radiant. They're in his presence. And this little girl was in the presence of God. Her consciousness, her spirit was in the presence of God. And he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. And he permitted no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, his brother, a brother James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and a tumult was there weeping and wailing loudly. They put on a show in their day. The louder you wailed, the more you cried, the more you really loved that person. And when he came, he said, why make this commotion and weep? The child's not dead, but sleeping. We, we grieve differently than others who have no hope. I can tell you that when my wife passed away, there was deep grief, but it was not without hope. For I know that one day I will see her again. Just as Mary and Martha unwrapped Lazarus, I will see Lisa again and there will be that, that reuniting because she is in the presence of God right now. And so he says, she's sleeping. Now he is going to raise her from the dead, but I don't think that's the point he's making here. This child's not dead. She's, she's alive. 
She's in the presence of God. And the people who die that we know are in the presence of God. And so we grieve differently. We grieve because we miss them, but we do not grieve because they're gone. We know that they're there. We will see them again. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And he took the child by the hand and said, Talitha Kumi, which is translated little girl arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked and she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. Does that uh, ring a bell with anybody? She was 12 years of age. What, what, what else happened here in this story? 12 years. The woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. 12 years of joy for Jairus. 12 years of misery for this woman. And now they have all conversed at the same time and had faith in Jesus in two different ways. But that which was in common was Jesus. Verse 43, but they commanded him strictly that no one should know about it. The Bible says the news of this went out throughout all of the countryside. So they told people, which is hilarious. Don't tell anybody, Jesus says. Jesus told them not to tell anybody. They told everybody. He tells us to tell everybody. We tell nobody. <laughs> tell no one that they should know it and said something should be given to her to eat. Three things in closing quickly. We must come to the right person in faith. You have to come to Jesus. You can't go to Buddha. You can't go to, you can't just say, I have faith in, in a God that I don't know who he is. You have to come to Jesus in faith. They both came to Jesus. They came to him in different ways. There were different points of faith, but you have to come to Christ. Number two, you must have an act of faith. Hers was touching the hem of his garment. His was asking a question. For some people, it's like, I'm giving my life back to the Lord. I'm going to church. And you walk in the church doors and that is your act of faith and your life is recommitted to God. For some of you, it's raising your hand. For some of you, it's saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom like the thief on the cross. Number three, we must continue in our faith. It is through faith and patience that we inherit the, the promises of God. Just because you haven't received it now doesn't mean that you're not going to receive it. Doesn't mean you're not going to get it. And it is no coincidence that the passage in the Bible that teaches us about faith, this one, is the same passage that demonstrates his power over death. Because it is by faith that we receive eternity. The, the, the power of death is shattered by the work of Jesus on the cross. When he rose from that dead, he demonstrated his power over death and we receive it by trusting, believing, and having faith. If we have faith, we are set free. And it's no coincidence that the greatest gift that you and I receive is our eternal life as we trust in him. And the greatest gift for those that have gone before us is that they are in the presence of God and they are alive. I'll end with the words of Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And if anyone believes in me, he shall not die. But even if he does die, he will live. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much for all that you've done. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us clearly and, and powerfully these truths about faith. I pray for those here who are listening to false teachers of the faith movement or to the false teachings of the faith movement. I pray that you would, would, would show them what is true and what is false, what is true and what is a lie. And that just because they quote scripture doesn't mean that they're 
they're quoting it correctly, and that we would grab a hold of all that you want for us in faith. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.